Portia, it is a privilege to be talking church with you today. Uh, we just got done with a one day kind of a mini conference here and you spoke at it, did a great job, really encouraging pastors to not only rest, but to go back to what they've been called to do after they get recharged and energized talking about Elijah and just did a great job teaching us through that scripture and encouraging us. And maybe there's people listening and they say, you're pretty cool. That's awesome. <laughs> you're a friend of mine, but tell us a little bit about you, sure. about your journey and what God has you doing right now. Sure. Um, in short, you know, I'm a wife, I'm a mom. And so that's a very full, uh, full-time job, if you will. Three having, boys. Having three boys, 11, 10, 6. So we're never bored. I like yeah. to say that at our house. And um, my husband and I moved to Minneapolis to be a part of a great local church. You might be familiar yes. with it there. Um, and it's been quite a journey. We moved here from Dallas, so that's wild. We went from hot to cold. Um, but it's so much more than that. We really felt this is what God called us to do. Formerly in Dallas, I was an educator. I was an elementary principal and before that a high school principal. Love high schoolers, but give me the babies. <laughs> give me the little kids anytime. And so um, when we moved here, I stayed at home with our kids and then went on staff at that same church and um, got to oversee the local project, what we did in the community. And that was really great. Did that for almost five years. That's our years. church, by the way, if you're wondering. River yeah, Valley. River Valley yeah. Church. Yeah. You know, Someone I, was like, what church? What church is that? Sounds yeah. like an amazing church it is. <laughs> yes, thank you. And um, while here, actually at River Valley, just serving at my local campus, had the opportunity to begin teaching more. I'd done it in the past. Obviously, I was a teacher, but biblical teaching, that opportunity came more and more and just knew that the Lord was calling me to pursue something different. So in 2016, um, no, not 2016, sorry, that math is wrong, 2018, I felt like the Lord told me it's time for you to study more and it's time for you to step out and pursue this call that I've placed on your life. And mm. so I stepped away from River Valley and went home and I was like, okay, now what, Lord? And it was like crickets. <laughs> and um, so it was focus on your family, discipling your kids and take opportunities as I give you. Be faithful and steward what I put in front of you. Mm. And so um, I'm a teacher, I'm a mom, I'm a wife, I'm a friend. Um, but I'm passionate about the church. I love that this podcast is called Talking Church because mm -hmm. I happen to really love the church. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you're a pastor's kid. I'm a, oh, yeah, I am a pastor's kid. Yeah, mm -hmm. my dad just retired. Mm -hmm. So maybe I retired the... No, you the, still are. I still yeah. am. So I'm a pastor's kid. Um, both my parents were pastors um, ordained in the Assemblies of God. And um, most recently, I've started an endeavor with a friend. We've started a consulting business called Imago Day Consulting, where we come alongside faith communities to help them navigate conversations around diversity and belonging. And that's such a crucial topic right now. Yeah. And um, I believe the church really is the answer that God wants to use. And so if we can navigate these conversations and come together and truly be unified, then we will continue to spread the gospel message. One of the things I said about you when I introduced you when you spoke, and I'll say it again, is I love that you want to make the church look more beautiful. You want to make it better without tearing it down. Absolutely. And I think at times people feel like it needs to be one or the other. Can right. you talk about why you were spurred to go into this opportunity, obviously to say, I want to step out and do more ministry. I want to mm -hmm. step out and help churches, right. help make the church look more like the church that God intended. Sure. How have you not got, I mean, 
in some ways, it'd be easy to get cynical and just mm-hmm. say, here's all the bad things. Because we can do that. For sure. We can point out all the all the things that are wrong yeah. uh, pretty quickly, whether it be in our own life or our own church. But right. talk about that. Well, I think, you know, 2020 was definitely a catalyst for me. And for our listeners who haven't actually met me, let me just go ahead and tell them I am a woman of color. And if you don't know what that means, I'm African-American. I am a black woman. So all of those things work. (laughs) All of those things work in my context. And so uh, 2020 was a big deal. And I just remember being so grieved in my heart because I saw such disunity in a place where we were supposed to be unified. And the Lord made it really clear to myself and also my husband that it is not by accident that we have the opportunity to engage with other people with different ethnicities and have relationship and close relationship, not just superficial things. And um, it was almost as if the Lord said, I've called you to be a bridge builder. And um, bridges get you from one side to the other, but bridges also get walked on. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes you're like, yeah, be the bridge. Well, this hasn't always been really glamorous and great, but I feel that it's been necessary. And the Lord has strengthened us to do that. And, um, you know, loving the church helps me want to help the church, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Because yeah. you can't you can't want to be part of the solution if you don't love the thing that you're a part of. Sure. And so, um, and I know love gets thrown around a whole lot. I love chocolate. I love the Vikings. I love the commanders. I actually, I won't side trail there. <laughs> <sighs> Washington football. Yeah. Yeah. That's as a Minnesota fan, I, we can relate, but I, <laughs> I, I think I, I was talking to my dad about this. It, sorry. It's a rabbit trail here, but, uh, I feel like when you are a fan of something mm-hmm. of sports in particular, you think you, your team is the worst at everything. Like, sure. like the Vikings at the time of this recording, you know, we're doing well yeah. in our season. Um, hopefully that continues. Um, but, it's like we're horrible, we're awful, right. we're everything. But it's, it's because we look at it from that lens. And I mm-hmm. almost, again, segueing it back to the church, mm-hmm. it's like something that you love and you care about, it's so so easy to see its flaws right. um, that at times I think we we almost brush by the beautiful things. And it's right. like, well, yeah, yeah, we know the church is the hope of the world. Right. <laughs> but here's right. the problems. Here's all these other things. And I think when we will remind ourselves of the beauty of the church. I and mean, we're the bride of Christ. Yeah. That's what the Bible calls us. And who would ever walk up to a bride on her wedding day and tell her all the things that don't look right? Yeah. Right? Once she has walked out of her preparation room, mm-hmm. right? We would never in a million years do that. And that doesn't mean that we overlook the things that need to be corrected. Like the thing I have in my mind is um, you pull out a shirt and it's wrinkled. You have choices. You can either yeah. steam the shirt, iron the shirt, or just wear it as it is. Mm. And because we are owners, if you will, we are a part of the church, I choose to pull out the steamer. Yeah. Not even the iron, because steamers are really great. Yeah. yeah. They really get the job done. And you can't help make something better and stay on task, on mission, and on purpose if you're not a part of it. Mm-hmm. Like, I could leave, but then I can't affect change. Um, quick side story. You mentioned that my father's a pastor. He um, is a part of the North Texas District, part of the Assemblies of God. And he was the first African-American presbyter, which mm. is a huge deal. Yeah. It's such an honor. It's awesome. And on one hand, it's like, wow. And on the other, like, why did it take until 2014 for that to happen? Mm-hmm. And so I look at things like that, and I have a choice. I can either be critical and be like, I can't believe it took so long to make this happen. Or I could celebrate and be like, that is so awesome. Let's make space and make room for yeah. other people of other ethnicities to also step in the leadership in this space. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, I brought that up because my dad taught me and he goes, you can either be a part 
and affect change, or you can leave and you completely invalidate any mm-hmm. authority, any power, any influence to bring change because you left. Yeah. Yeah. I, I am reminded of conversations even having during COVID with you and your husband mm-hmm. and, um, there's vulnerability, there's rawness, mm-hmm. uh, there's challenges, you know, you even talked about that in your message today. Uh, but at, I think when the going gets tough mm-hmm. in, in some ways it's making that decision. To me, it feels like the good happens in those moments when it starts yeah. to get challenging, not always, sure. but I would say specifically on this topic in our country right, right. now, uh, in the church, mm-hmm. I think that I think the the people who are maybe skeptical mm-hmm. of the idea of having this conversation right. are, I would say, skeptical for reasons that are understandable and in some ways are good. And, right. and I, I'll, I'll finish my thought here. They're trying to protect the beauty of the church. Right. And they don't want people who, there are people out there that certainly want to destroy the church. Right. They're trying to protect the beauty of the church, what God has asked us to do in that there are certain things that people are asking of the church that the church shouldn't do. But at times, and maybe you'd agree with this, that can limit us from the things that we could and should do to make the church look more like what he had in mind. Does that resonate? I think so. I think if I'm understanding you correctly, it's that we can ignore these conversations mm-hmm. and just like, we're great. We are the hope of the world. But if we are not actually reaching the world, then we're, it's almost like we're invalidating our purpose. Yeah. And so it's a, it's a both and mm-hmm. we have to, you know, you get up this, here's a story. When I was a kid, you know, teenager breakouts, whatever, it would drive me bananas for my parents to say, Oh, you have a blemish on your face as if I had not looked in the mirror that yeah. day. And so I think as the church, we are looking in the mirror and we're seeing where there are blemishes. And here's the thing. I think sometimes we take the burden on ourselves of we have to make ourselves blemish free, but it is the Lord who makes his church without Mm -hmm. spot or wrinkle, without blemishes. And so what that looks like practically involves us. Like he could supernaturally just make us all like, whoa, everybody loves you and they're receiving your word. But because we're not puppets... We have work that we have to do as well to partner with what God is doing to bring unity to the church. Because John, in John 17, this oh, I love this passage, where Jesus is praying for us. I love that he prays for his disciples, and he says, and I pray for those who are going to believe in this message because of them, that they will be one, Father, as you and I are one, so that the world will believe that you sent me and that you love them. Mm-hmm. And so you talked about the difficulties when things are really hard. That is one of the places I go back to personally, and that helps me go, okay, God, you still got us. You're still for us. And we are believing that we are going to be one, even though it is difficult. You have to protect unity. Um, mm-hmm. Our lead pastor says yeah. that all the time, protect the unity. And that doesn't mean ignore the problem mm-hmm. or ignore the difficulty, but it does mean, okay, we're going to do this together. And we're going to figure out what does this look like to come together to talk about X, Y, Z, whatever the case may be. How have you seen people build trust in moments when they want to have conversations around the topic of diversity and belonging. Um, and that's one of the things that I love that we using using right. that term, even sometimes it's equity and inclusion and, right. and not that those terms are inherently bad. Right. I think what we've tried to identify is terms that would encapture, capture more of what we're trying to accomplish. Right. Um, but how have you seen people build trust when maybe there isn't a strong foundation of trust? Right. Maybe it's a staff member who's trying to lead an initiative or it's a lead pastor who's really 
again, well-intentioned, but right. doesn't want it to lead down to a path that is uh, destructive. Right, right. You know, there has to be that step of faith, if you will, of, sure. of going forward and beginning in small steps. I think sometimes we're guilty of, I want to do all of these things, mm-hmm. right? And I love that. Shoot for the moon, but let's start with maybe getting plans to know how to build the rocket. Yeah. Right? You have to start, you don't have to start small. I would recommend, and where I've seen trust be built, is I don't have all the answers on all sides. Because I think sometimes, especially around issues of diversity and belonging, there can be parties that present themselves as if they have all the answers. As a black woman, I do not, I repeat, do not have all of the answers for all people of color because my experience is different from other people's experience. Are there shared similarities? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'll be the first to say I'm not going to speak for all people of color, but I can talk about trends. I can talk about my personal experience and things that have happened in my family. And I think you have to be willing to humble yourself on all sides of, I don't have the answers, but I want to find the answers and how can we work together, especially for believers. This is a different conversation if you're talking to folks that don't profess the name of Jesus. But if I'm talking to my brother, my sister in Christ, first of all, we have the foundation of the cross. And if we're starting there, then we can start talking about these other issues that seem scary or seem um, daunting. And then I think it also matters on who you're approaching. I mean, did you just wake up one day and say, we're going to talk about this in front of your whole church? Or did you talk to your leaders? Did you talk to your staff? Are we praying about these things? These conversations can't be had without prayer because it's a spiritual matter. Mm -hmm. We're not fighting people. Scripture's very clear on that. We're wrestling against principalities, authorities, and high places. And so... I believe firmly that when we're talking about diversity and belonging, as we couch that in prayer and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, that helps in the building of trust. Mm-hmm. So. Totally. Yeah, one, I can attest to much of what you're saying, even in these past couple of years. Something that I've learned is the, the trust that I have with an individual is, has helped me to mm-hmm. ask the right questions. Mm-hmm. But I also think receiving it in return. And again, whatever side of the equation we're talking about, this could be, you know, as an American, when you travel abroad, you're you're treated a certain way. And I I know at times when I lived uh, in a a different country, they would always bring me to the front of the line. Wow. And, you know, was that because I was white? Was that because I was an American? Was Mm -hmm. that because they assumed I had money? You know, Mm -hmm. probably a combination of those three. Um, But, you know, it made me, I didn't ask to be brought to the front of the line. And then I have all these people that are looking at me that are now angry at me thinking that I'm an entitled brat when I didn't ask to be that way. Mm -hmm. And so I think that it goes in all sorts of scenarios. And we started talking uh, about something and our audio producer yelled at me before he said, save it for the podcast. He's like, talk (laughs) about that on the podcast. Thanks, Austin. Um, But, but kind of asking the question of there are things that people have experienced that we don't know. Can you talk a little bit about how maybe you've worked interculturally, and again, that's something you and Alicia work a lot on, but worked interculturally to start to understand that about others. And again, not just between white and black, but between 
different cultures, eth- right. ec- economic statuses. Right. Can you give us a little bit of a crash course here sure. on how we can start to have those conversations to where we're learning? Sure. I think some of that can be um, purely academic. There's so much. I ask Google many, many, many things. And there are so many resources that are out there and available so that you're not flying blind, if mm-hmm. you will, in navigating conversations. Um, but something that I think is also really important is to remember that that is a person. And so um, something uh, that I learned when I was 19, I traveled to Nepal. I stayed in Kathmandu for a month. And one of the smells that were regularly around was the smell of fresh bread and trash. Mm. That, um, that was in the summer. That winter, I went to New York City with some girlfriends, had a great time. And I was accosted by the smell of fresh bread and trash. And in that moment, I had the thought, these are two very, very different cities, massive cities, millions of people. But there still was a similar, let me try one more time, similarities between the two. And I think that's the thing with people, that first of all, they we recognize here's a fellow image bearer. If we can start with, regardless of what their belief systems are, but this is another person that has parents, that is maybe a sibling, that maybe is a parent themselves, that wants the best for their family or for the people that they love so much. Um, I think that is a really good place to start. And I know... A person can think, that just sounds really simplistic. I'm just asking that we remember the humanity of the other person that's Mm -hmm. around the room because we have all of our reasons and give ourselves grace for all the different things that we do. If we gave that same measure to someone else that has a different background, a different experience than us, how much further would we be in that relationship, whether it be a personal one, a business one, just the benefit of grace, my husband likes to say all Mm -hmm. of the time. Um, And that's a really good place to start because you're not going to learn everything in one setting. And I think it's kind of a turnoff to try to learn everything in one setting, but rather um, to take time and to learn and to also do study on your own of whatever it is that you're trying to learn. Um, I know when I travel abroad, I always want to know, what do I not need to do? Because I don't want to offend anyone. You know, that's one of the the biggest things. For me personally, I would hate to be offensive to someone because then what does that do for the cause of Christ? Am I invalidating being able to talk to them about Jesus because I just offended them because I was ignorant of customs, whatever the case may be? Um, So I think there's a lot we can do individually, but person to person. It's a person. Let's yeah. start there. A fellow image bearer of God. That's why we're called Imago Day. We are Imago Day and mm-hmm. recognizing I see that you are an image bearer of God. Yeah. And Paul talks about that too with there are certain things that you do that could cause another brother or sister to stumble. Right. And I think about that too. You mentioned the word ignorance. I think at times all of us are guilty of this, but we can be ignorant without pursuing non-ignorance. Yes, yes. And so we we will, I don't know, but I, it's almost like I don't know and I don't care, and right. this is who I am, and mm-hmm. so accept me for who I am. Right. And and you, you don't really see that example in Scripture. Again, there are things, if it is a conviction, if it is right. a moral thing, mm-hmm. and that's going to offend people, our faith offends people. Yes. You are, you know, the caveat is you are going to offend people, but are you... Are you unintentionally or intentionally offending people by right. things that are not a gospel issue? Exactly. Yeah. One, um, a follow-up on that is when you learn things about cultures, okay. about people that you don't know, I think there is a there is an opportunity. Again, I was just talking about ignorance. Mm-hmm. Ignorance in some ways, the, the, the phrase which... I understand it, but it, it's not really a great leadership thought is ignorance is bliss. Um, <laughs> I think that only works for children. <laughs> yeah. 
it's it, it it's bliss for the person who is ignorant at the time before the consequences come. Right. Because ignorance is bliss. Again, I mean, there's so many stories I'm sure you and I both could tell about being in another culture, another country, to where your ignorance is bliss until you get arrested or until right. you get thrown in jail. Or, you right. know, there were a, a country that I was in, they said, if you take a pic- picture of the uh, police, you'll go to jail. And they told a story of mm-hmm. someone who came from America, took a picture, they were in jail for two months wow. for taking a picture of them. Right. So ignorance is bliss right. until you go to jail. Yes. Um, Thinking about this idea of, of when you learn about something, when you're now you have this responsibility in a right. way to I now understand something about somebody else right. that has changed my perspective of me. Right. What are our what are our options moving sure. forward? You know, because I feel like now that I know, I feel like a lot of people wish it's like it's like the whole analogy in youth group, right? Mm-hmm. Where you squeeze the toothpaste out and you're like, <laughs> you can't get all the toothpaste back in. Right. What what are some next steps to where you say, I now know this. Right. Now what? Okay. You cannot know what you know. Yeah. And I think you have to start with your sphere where you are. I think, um, and I talked about this earlier, where you just want to do, I want to take care of everything. Start with where you are. Mm-hmm. Um, I, For example, um, I'm from Dallas and um, Texas, as probably a lot of people know, on the political spectrum is a very, very, very red state. Mm-hmm. And then you have Austin. Sure, <laughs> um, yeah. And um, when we moved here to Minneapolis, my heart shifted toward different communities because I now had proximity mm-hmm. and relationship. And so I learned things about people. And I think that when you learn things about people, it gives you, um, it for the believer, again, I think it has the opportunity to ignite your compassion and to want to lean in more. Not because they're a project, not because they're a conquest, but if our heart is ultimately for someone to know the Lord, but we want to know them as an individual, then you lean in closer. Now, it is hard harder, admittedly, if someone has completely different views than what you have. But you know, you can still have a relationship with them. Mm -hmm. And so my encouragement to the person, what's next? I just learned all these different things to have a better understanding. Lean in more and ask more questions. Learn. Most people, if you are asking them things about what they've just shared with you, will give you more information. And not just for the sake of having the information, but to know the person. I think it always comes back to relationship. Mm -hmm. Again, I totally recognize that's how I'm wired. Yeah. But I think it's how Jesus, I mean, he did things through relationship. You look yeah. at scripture, I mean, even the body of Christ, it's through that relationship. Something that I've, again, I'm, I'm externally processing a lot. That's why I like recording this podcast. Yeah. I, I joke that I just get to, I schedule a podcast because I just want to <laughs> meet with people and talk to them. Um, something that I've learned recently is people know who they are. Mm-hmm. Again, the the analogy you made with your parents and having a you know a pimple on your face, mm-hmm. people know, and I think what has scared people is to acknowledge the obvious. Sure. And so, something that I've learned, and again, I've I've been taught this by many friends, you know, you and Clinton included, that asking a question about something that is obvious right. is not offensive. It's not, but. It could be offensive by not asking. It could be. You know, it doesn't mean it always is. Correct. But things, a great example of this that happened just this weekend. Um, I learned, I didn't know this. Mm. I learned about Indian weddings. Okay. I always saw pictures of them and things that they were big, but I didn't really know. And I was listening to a podcast and someone was talking about they were, their family was spending a million dollars on their wedding. Wow. Yeah. 
Totally. I mean, I knew it was a big affair. Yeah. I didn't know to that yeah, tune. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And so I had the same response. Sure. Wow. You know, and these they were going back and forth and um, was explaining that's not uncommon. You know, a lot of people in Indian culture will uh, spend their life savings on their wedding. It's a, gr- it's a way, I mean, there's, I'm not going to get into all of it because I, I don't know everything sure. about it, but I, I learned something about it. Right. That was like two weeks ago. Then I m- met this guy at church who was Indian. Mm-hmm. And he said, yeah, I just got married. Um, uh, like two years ago during COVID. And he said it was a small wedding. Mm-hmm. And I knew what I had just learned. And I said, it was a small wedding for you, but it was probably a big wedding for everyone else. I just inferred that. I said, mm-hmm. how many were at your wedding? He said 500. <laughs> and I said, see, I had a wedding that had 400 and I tell people I had a big wedding. Right. And so what I see is we may not be in disagreement. We may just be using... The same word sure. for different things. Absolutely. How much have you seen that over these past two and a half years? Oh, there's so much. We've even been coaching our children in school and helping their teachers. Number one, we're from the South. And in the Midwest, communication is is different. We're both speaking English, but tone and directness is on a spectrum. We'll yeah. just say that. And so we've been teaching our kids, like when you're responding to your teacher, especially if it's around a matter that maybe you disagree or the teacher didn't see something, you need to be aware how you are stating your point because it can be misconstrued as that you're being disrespectful or that you're being angry when really you're just being very passionate about the point that you're talking about. Um, Something that I've learned is I explain my passion quite a bit depending on the group of people that I'm with. If I am, if I show emotion and have tears, I will give context to why I have tears if I haven't already before the tears show up. And I do that because I think it's important for people to understand, number one, I'm not just an angry black woman because that does exist out there. And sometimes being passionate is misconstrued. And so what I try to keep in my mind is give context to where you are, give context to the people um, that you're interacting with so that they have a better opportunity to understand where you're coming from. Mm -hmm. Context can change everything. You know, Mm -hmm. let's just pause a moment. This is what this sounded like. Is this what you meant? Yeah. You know, that is also something that is a useful tool. Um, I think assuming gets us in a lot of trouble. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The thinking about how this applies to the church, I think there's so many ways. Obviously, you have teaching from the pulpit, you have groups, you have how you train leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, is, again, part of this is a calling you feel to help churches to pursue this. What are some ways that you'd say, okay, we have, we've talked about, I now know what I didn't know and have right. a responsibility to what I know. Right. What are some next steps for people who would say, I mean, again, there's a number of ways and, I, and even maybe helpful to talk about, even from my position, I was sat on our leadership team that went through with Alicia yeah. that um, has worked with you and, you know, through some of the trainings, but it started with elders. Mm-hmm. Then it went to executive leadership team. Then it went to focus groups. Yeah. Then it went to staff. Now it's going to, you know, deacons, congregation. It's, right. this is over two years. Yes. And so I think... What I've discovered, and maybe what you can expand on, is one, it's a long process. Yes. But then second, the whole the whole church didn't come crashing down because we pursue something, and the whole church didn't come crashing, crashing down because we haven't finished it yet. Exactly. Can you expand on that? I think that's so great that you brought that point out. This It is a long process, and long doesn't equal bad, yeah. and short doesn't equal good. Yeah. 
And so um, I think it shows wisdom and integrity to the process to take the time it needs. Well, how long is it going to take? As long as it takes. Mm -hmm. You know, we set goals and we set markers. And what I would say to a church leader is take a deep breath, give yourself some grace. You are not going to fix whatever problems you've identified in six weeks, yeah. in, in even a year's time. And so... Um, Take your steps, talk in that process that you went just went through. You started with the leaders. I mean, this conversations are happening within the congregation. There are life groups because, you know, we have yeah. small group of leaders that are starting different groups, and that's amazing, and they are under oversight of pastors on staff. But to see real long-lasting change, it needs to start with your leadership, and I think that is the wisest course of action. Alicia and I, as we talk about future churches that we will work with, an individual can access our, our training, but we won't just come show up unless the leaders have said, we would love to talk to you about yeah. this process because your leaders need to be involved. Totally. That, that's so good. And and I think the something that was maybe scary at the beginning, and again, I'm just speaking from mm -hmm. e experience here going through this process, uh, part of it was... I would recommend to any church, don't start it in a year like 2020, <laughs> <laughs> because I would say it took a lot longer sure. and was a lot more stressful than it yes. maybe has to be. I'm not yes. saying that there isn't stress involved. Right. There, there will be. But we, as a lot of churches probably yes. did, they started this right after all of what was happening yes. in our world. Hello, we're in Minneapolis. Yes. And it was a response that needed, Yes, but... There is an opportunity for you to start right now. Don't yeah. wait so for the for your church to turn against each other right. to start talking about it. Absolutely. Use this moment of unity. And again, there's always stuff going on in cities. There's mm -hmm. always things that break the fabric. That's what the devil does. He right. tries to disunify the church. Right. But I would just encourage not waiting for a crisis moment. Yes. Again, that can it can be that. It can illuminate us to things, but there were times where we had our several hour meetings talking about the definition of one word. Right. And that prompted some of the changes of language that we right. used. Are is there unity in the language you use? There can be. There can be. But if you say, we're gonna use this word right. and the lead pastor doesn't like it, well, cancel the initiative. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. So in in some of as you process through, you get leaders on board, right? You identify some of that language. What as maybe people who say, we just want to kind of pursue this on our own, sure. or maybe they want to work with you or someone like you, right. what would you advise to a church that says, how can I, what what questions should I ask myself sure. to understand where we're at and what maybe is needed? I think one of the biggest questions, hopefully the churches will ask themselves is, is this, is this endeavor biblical? And diversity is all throughout scripture. Mm -hmm. And I think you need to start with the foundation of knowing where the heart of the Father is about this. This isn't about, oh, we need to make sure that all of our leadership looks like this. Yeah. But this is about knowing that the Lord created all of us with intention. All we have to do is fast forward to Revelation. John said he saw every tribe, every nation, every tongue. So that foundation of knowing, is this a biblical pursuit, I think is very, very important because that question will come up. Is like, are we are we even preaching the gospel anymore? Or are we just focusing on these other things because it's popular in culture? So I think it's very, very important to look at this whole process from the foundation of diversity was in the heart of our Father from mm -hmm. the moment that He created mankind. And and so starting there and being with leaders and being intentional, I don't think this just happens. 
You need to be intentional. If you're doing this on your own, there are so many amazing godly resources that are available for you and for your church, books to read, podcasts to listen to. Um, and I, here's a, a little bit of a challenge. I would even suggest reading or watching things that maybe are not from a Christian perspective, but comes from people that are a part of our society, just to know what is being said, because mm-hmm. eat the meat, spit out the bones. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm somebody, we actually did a... As a part of that with Alicia, she asked us, how many of you enjoy reading books about from people you disagree with? Mm-hmm. And half the room raised their hand, half didn't. And it was interesting. I was one of the people who raised my hand. I, I enjoy that, be, not necessarily because I'm like, oh, I'm going to poke holes in every argument, right. but oh, I could learn something. And yes. we all have that nature in us right. that is like, oh, that's so dumb. You know, <laughs> I read one book and I was like, wow, it was about church history. Mm-hmm. And it was from a totally different perspective than what I have. And I was like, how can we be so far off huh. on what the history of the church is? But I think that shows there are people that are teaching this, that are that believe this, mm-hmm. and we're, we can be far off, but how right. can we, again, in the church, when we believe what we believe, when we have the unity and Jesus is the only way, right. he's the way, the truth, and the life, his salvation you know, is the, the story of the book, right. those foundations can help us to, to build on those and create a church that is going to be the beautiful bride of Christ. Right. Um, there's, there's so many so many other routes we could go, but um, maybe it's for another time. Another time. But what would, if people want to learn more about you or maybe sure. get in touch with you or even just follow you, give, right. get, where would they go to sure. learn more about Portia? Sure. I'm on all of the socials, Portia Allen, PortiaAllen.com. Um, if I sold you Bitcoin, 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 I'm sorry, I got hacked yeah. back in January. Um, but Portia, did Allen, you really? I really did <laughs> I not sell Bitcoin, got hacked yeah, yeah, yeah. and was selling Bitcoin. Yes. Someone hacked your account, was selling Bitcoin through your account. Yes. Like maybe fraudulent. Like That was yeah. fraudulent. I had yeah. people going, this isn't you. And I was like, it's not me. It wasn't one of your boys. It wasn't one of my like children. making money on the side. No, yeah. no hustling there on the yeah. side. And if you did buy it, sorry, because it's really gone down since then. It so, really yeah. has. And that wasn't me. <laughs> um, but yeah, Portia Allen and all the places. Um, and, you know, I think it all begins with a conversation. Yeah. And um, as far as Imago Day is concerned, same places. We'd love to have a conversation with you um, and to champion and cheer you on for what God has called you to do in your city. Well, that's so good. Well, thank you so much. I, I've loved this conversation. I love the work you do, being a part of this house and going far beyond. I love how as our church has grown, as our network has grown, there's more voices that come out of it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's awesome to see, even with my parents, but the, the other voices that are just yeah. coming, the, the beauty of, of what the body of Christ can look like. Absolutely. And so we love you and Clinton so much, your kids. Thank you so much for blessing us, and we'll do it again soon. Thanks so much.